The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and fans, it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want even more action? Then get in on the experience, the thrill of the DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10, at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team ends up losing. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use that promo code AOD to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code AOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply if you or someone you know has a gambling problem. Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 877-HOPE-NY in New York. OPGR.org in Oregon. Call text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-538 to 3500 in Virginia. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. We have worked our way into the positives on this segment this week. As of this recording, I am 3-2-1, up 0.95 units overall. Of course, I am still awaiting the result of Marcos Giron's quarterfinal battle against James Duckworth in San Diego. For what it's worth, I'm recording this Friday, 3.56 p.m. Eastern Time. Giron took the first set, 7-6. He's up 7 Seven six one love. If that lead holds, we will move to four and two and up over a unit overall on the week. That would be a nice feeling heading into an exciting championship weekend of action. Of course, folks, if you can't get up for this weekend in the pro tennis world, I don't know what to tell you as there is so much fun action happening around the globe and it's really happening at every hour of the day. Of course, the headline event is an event we're not going to gamble on as I alluded to yesterday. I know we're all eagerly watching Laver Cup, certainly Friday night, Roger Federer's final professional match. He and Rafa taking on Jack Sock, Francis Tiafa. We're all locked in on that, all locked in on all the top action happening over at the Laver Cup. But because that is a glorified exhibition, I just don't feel confident in wagering on any of the matches. You just never know what's going to happen. Third set, 10-point tiebreak. Let's enjoy that as fans and not worry about any of the results affecting our wallets. Of course, even if you move that match aside, that event aside, Don't worry. We got plenty of other action to look towards as you've got the WTA 500 event in Tokyo, the 250 in Seoul, ATP 250s in France, in San Diego, countless challengers, 125Ks happening around the globe as well. It's exciting stuff, as I've alluded to all week long here on this segment. And of course, on this segment, I've got two aces for all of you listeners today. Again, so many different matches to choose from as such. I want to try and touch on them all as we 
look across the board, preview what the next day in the pro tennis world is going to look like. Of course, if you are looking for recaps of all the action, I have tried to play catch up over on the mini break podcast divided the pods into WTA and ATP centric episodes. Of course, had to sneak in a little Laver Cup in that ATP pod as well as that. It really is the event so many of us are anticipating this weekend, but uh, there's a lot of good action happening in the pro tennis world. And if you want to hear more about it, head on over to our Crack Rackets mini break podcast feed, which you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts. Of course, again, here today, want to offer my picks, explain my reasoning, give you the stats, give you the matchup that I look towards who has the advantages where, and then we'll look across the board, try to touch on all the matches you need to watch most closely over the next 24 hours if you want to feel informed as a tennis fan. With that in mind, let's get to it. Here are my two GSP aces of the day. Let's start with a familiar name. Here on this segment, Ludmilla Samsonova has been one of the breakout stars of this 2022 WTA season. She started the week at number 30 in the WTA rankings, but you look for Samsonova reached her career high of number 25 back in May, currently sitting at number 26 in the live rankings, perhaps equally impressive. She's number 23 in the points race this season, and most notably, she has now won 16 of her last 17 matches, and it's the way she's won those matches that is so particularly impressive. You look for Samsonova in those 17 matches, she's played 36 total sets. She she lost two of them against Isla Tomjanovic at the U.S. Open. She loses that fourth round match despite having a 5-2 first set lead. Of course, she beat Tomjanovic in three sets back at the City Open on her way to that title run in D.C. But in those 17 total matches, she's played 36 total sets. She's 32-4. and four. In those 36 total sets, you look at the numbers for Samsonova, she's winning 77% of her first serve points. Of course, Samsonova has worked her way up the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. She's now number two in hold percentage amongst top 50 players during this 2022 season. She trails just Caroline Garcia overall in that metric, but Samsonova holding 79.4% of the time. Of course, her first serve win percentage during this run, I mentioned it uh, that 78% number would rank number one amongst all top 50 players on the WTA Tour. Excuse me, 77% number, not 78. But look at the wins she's earned this week, each against power players, whether it was two and four against Rabakina, six and three against Wang Shenyu, or her straight set victory in the quarterfinal over Garbine Muguruza Thursday night. Samsonova has been dominant on that serve. She went unbroken against Rabakina, fought off all three break points that she faced. She faced two break points, just two, against Wang Shenyu, and while she was broken once, again, faced just two break points throughout the course of the match. And then you look for Samsonova in that four and two victory last night against Muguruza. So she faced just two break points. Yes, she was broken two times, but won 72% of her first serve points, 59% of her second serve points, and really did dominate on serve despite making just 53% of those first serves. That said, 
Again, you look for Samsonova has a massive opportunity here in this WTA Tour uh, or 500 level, excuse me, semifinal. She earns another victory. She'll jump back up to that career high of number 25 in the rankings. Perhaps more impressively, she'll jump all the way up to number 21 in the points race. And for what it's worth, she wins a title this week. She's up to 19th. She'll trail Veronica Kudermatova by about 800 points, which is a lot to make up down the home stretch. But you've still got the 1000 level event in Guadalajara. I believe Ostrava Linz, two indoor hardcourt events, which are advantageous surfaces for Samsonova, who has certainly not been afraid of playing a plethora of events in her schedule. There's an opportunity here with how hot Samsonova is right now, how well she's serving. Again, her power tennis, it's Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Tennis. It's just she dictates. She dominates with her first serve and her ability to hit the kick serve as well gets you stretched off the court. Then she just has so much space to give herself margins with her overwhelming, pow- overwhelmingly powerful excuse me, ground strokes. And it's both wings. I think her ability to absorb pace on her backhand wing is more important impressive than her forehand wing, but I think she's better at creating probably on that forehand side, which is not a slight on her backhand because she's plenty comfortable on that wing as well. And I got the chance to be in person for her run to the Cleveland title about a month ago. I'm telling you, the ball she hits is just different than each and every one of her opponents. It's so dynamic, the heaviness of that forehand, the top spin she's able to generate, that ball is on your shoulders before you know it. I think she moves pretty well also. The big thing for Samsonova during this run, how well she's hitting the return of serve. She's winning 46.5% of her return points. And look, that's 5% better than her average for the season. And you look in terms of return points won, the average amongst a top 50 player, 44.1%. That 46.5% number, it would rank seventh amongst top 50 players. And do I think Samsonova is a top 10 returner? No. Do I think she's a top five server? Absolutely. And do I think her return skills are top 25 level where she'll be floating in that top 25 club, which you know I like to allude to. There are about 10, 11 players every year who rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And typically those are your best 11 players in any given season. You know, right now there's only one player who ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage in the women's game. And you can guess who it is. It's Iga Sviantek, who has been that dominant throughout the course of this season. You know, Samsonova's been that player down the home stretch of 2022. And even when she hasn't served her best from a first serve percentage, she's just executing all of her plays so well. She's playing so confidently, so freely, and she's as fit as she's ever been in her career. Again, 23 years old, uh, reaching all of these career highs. I think the case for Samsonova is pretty clear. Now, she's got a tricky opponent tomorrow. She's taking on Jung Shui, and credit to the 33-year-old who's currently sitting uh, right around her career high in the rankings as well. You look for Jung Shui. She's currently at number 25. That's two off her career high, but she started the year at number 60, and she's earned more victories this season than any prior season in her career at the WTA level. For what it's worth, she's also 21st in the points race this year. You look for her 33 and 23 overall. She's now made her fourth quarterfinal of the season. She did it in Birmingham. She did it in Cincinnati. She did it in Cleveland. Now, 
she's done it here in Tokyo. Uh, excuse me. She did it in Nottingham as well and in Lyon. Wow. Didn't want to throw two off the list. So her sixth quarterfinal of the season, seventh. Uh, obviously, she got the victory in that quarterfinal over Petra March. She got a really good win, 4-6-7-6-7-6 over Caroline Garcia uh, in the round of 16 as well. And look, Jung Shui is holding over 70% of the time this year. It's a career high. She's holding 70.4%. That's a number 25 amongst top 50 players in the WTA stats leaderboard. And, you know, her success behind that first serves allow her to be a little bit more aggressive as a returner. She also moves pretty well in and out of the outer thirds of the court, can turn defense into offense fairly comfortably, hits a flatter ball, but is comfortable moving forward, comfortable finishing things at the net. That said, why I'm backing Samsonova in this matchup, couple of reasons. A, you look for Jung Shui, 10 and 14 overall this season against top 50 opponents. Her serve becomes 5% less effective according to the metrics. I suppose you take that with a grain of salt, but in terms of her return points, one, she also, you know, again, is a bottom 25 returner, only breaks 32% of the time. That's 4% below the tour average of top 50 players this season. Um, That number drops another 4% when facing top 50 opponents. And look, if you struggle on the return of serve against an average WTA top 50 player, those struggles are going to be exacerbated against Ludmilla Samsonova. And I just think strength on strength, you know, Jung Shui has been serving well. Samsonova has been serving well. Samsonova's best is better than Jung Shui's best. And while Shui was able to match the pace of Caroline Garcia, I do think Samsonova is a more dynamic returner. Samsonova is far less stubborn. She'll change her return position. Yeah, if you hang a second serve, she's going to take it inside the baseline, but she'll also take a step behind the baseline too, three steps behind the baseline. Give herself a little bit more time if needed. I think she's so condensed on that backhand wing. She connects so well on that return. Uh, I also, while her forehand backswing can get a little bit big, unless Jung Shui is landing the first serve there every time, you know, perfectly, I think Samsonova gives herself more margin. I just like the matchup for Samsonova. And according to Tennis Abstracts, singles forecast Samsonova, a 65.6% favorite. You look at the money line, she's minus 215. That's always a danger zone, right? When you're in that minus 200s, that means the books are saying, hey, we're, we, you, you are the favorite, but you definitely can be upset. And that's a testament to Jung Shui, who, again, is having a career year at age 33. Minus 215, a little bit too juicy. For what it's worth, though, in the two hours since I first looked, or not first looked, but since I started putting together all of my research for today's podcast, she was minus 190 when the money line first came out. That's up to minus 215 now. That you can get her at minus two and a half games at minus 130. We're taking it. And we'll take that minus 130 and lay the full 1.3 units to win one in return. Again, that's a credit to Samsonova, who I just think from a matchup perspective, you know, Jung Shui wants to hit that ball flat. She wants to hit it a little bit earlier and inside the court. You just can't do that with the pace, the depth, the heaviness of the Samsonova ball. I think how dynamic that Samsonova forehand is, how big the serve is, it over 
overwhelms the Jung Shui forehand wing. Give me Samsonova to win this match in straight sets. She does that as long as it's not 6-6, six and six, which I don't anticipate it will be. She will cover that minus 2.5 game spread. Again, we'll lay the full minus 130, 1.3 units to win one in return. That's ace of the day number one. For what it's worth, I'm staying away from the other matchup in Tokyo, a fantastic semifinal between Jung Chin Wen and Veronica Kudermatova. Jung Chin Wen looked really good in a straight set win over a very much informed Claire Liu. Both of them were dishing out the power tennis from the baseline, but Junction Wen's ability to take that ball early on the rise, the backhand wing is so clean, and her ability to redirect that ball down the line, it's delightful. I love how her serve just looks like she tosses the ball in the air and completely slaps it, but the slap is successful in her ability to hit that slice down the tee on the ad side to set up a first forehand, her ability to generate power in the outer thirds of the court. There's no doubt the 19-year-old is one of your 2022 breakout stars of the year. She's an underdog tomorrow, despite her victories over Paula Bedosa, Claire Liu, and, uh, you know, this week. She's minus 105, though, to Veronica Kudermatova's minus 115, and Kudermatova is currently eighth in the WTA points race, and she could open up a 200-point lead with a victory over Jung Chin Wen tomorrow. 200 points despite there being a 1,000-level event in Guadalajara, despite there still being a few events left on the calendar. That's a lot to have to overcome. This is a big moment for Kudermatova, who looked really good in, you know, scrapping back from 5-2 down to force a first set breaker, but ultimately earning a 6-7, 7-6, I believe 6-1 or 2 third set victory over Haddad Maya in the quarterfinals. And I thought Kudermatova hit her backhand really well, started taking the Haddad Maya ball on the short hop and just absorbing the lefty forehand of Haddad Maya to guide, you know, to keep her backhand down. And she was able to just drive through that ball and absorb the Haddad Maya top spin. And then there's her serve, you know, Kudermatova's top 10 serve by hold percentage here this season. She creates opportunities for herself to attack. Yeah, she gets a little aggressive as a returner and sometimes the errors can pile up, but you could say the same thing about Jung Chin Wen. And from a metric standpoint, these are two players who are very, very similar. Kudermatova's break percentage slightly behind Jung Chin Wen's, but her hold percentage slightly slightly above it. Again, it's strength on strength. If anything, if you're betting this match over two and a half sets plus 125, over 21 and a half games, minus 130, that's a stay away for me. That's a enjoy. You know, just kick your feet up, watch and enjoy the tennis. But fun day of action in Tokyo. That said, let's look now at ace of the day number two. How about an young American, all American parlay? In San Diego, you look at some of the matchups we've got on the board. Two young Americans who have had so much success over the past 24 months. One of them, of course, Jensen Brooksby, friend of the program here. It's been an up and down year for Brooksby, certainly compared to his 2021 season. Brooksby, 25 and 18 overall on the year, 11 and 8 in first matches this season. And by that, I mean he's lost eight first, you know, matches of an event. It's not always necessarily the first round if you're seeded, but, you know, some first round losses had piled up for Brooksby this year. You look for him, whether it was uh, some of the first round losses to uh, on the clay courts to guys like 
Bautista Gut, Pablo Cuevas, J.J. Wolf, whether it was on the grass courts to Krajinovic or Draper. I'm excusing the first-round losses to Nishioka in Washington because he had made the final the day before. And, you know, Tommy Paul in Cincinnati because Tommy played so well in Cincinnati. And I don't think that's a bad loss at all. That said, again, Brooksby, 25-18 and 18 overall into a quarterfinal for just the fourth time this season, third time at the ATP level. But worth noting, that's the second quarterfinal during this North American hardcourt stretch. As I alluded to, he made the Atlanta final earlier this summer. And you look for Brooksby, 15-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 50 here this season. Why do I bring that up? Well, he's got an outside the top 50 opponent tomorrow, or I should say later tonight here on Friday in Chris O'Connell. You look for O'Connell. 36 and 19 overall on the year 5 and 10 at the ATP level and there was a you know a streak of losses on the clay courts to Opelka Bedene he dropped matches to Murray Manorino Duckworth and Stuttgart Winston-Salem the US Open respectively good wins for him this week over Kubler over JJ Wolf as well but Look, this is where Jensen Brooksby makes his money. You look for O'Connell, a righty uh, who certainly can move the ball well around the court, but does he have an overwhelming weapon to hurt Jensen Brooksby with? With all due respect, I think the answer to that question is no. And you look for Brooksby, currently ranked number 50 in the ATP rankings, but with his success this week, you look for Brooksby in the live rankings now, all the way back up to number 44. One more victory here this week will put him at number 41. You go 15 and 6 against players ranked outside the top 50, you're probably a top 50 player. And as meteoric as Jensen Brooksby's rise was last season, I do think the fact that he is establishing himself, I know that 11 and 8 in first matches number isn't great, but it's just like as meteoric as the rise was, there was always going to be some pit, uh, pitfalls is the wrong word, some hiccups here this season. And, you know, to go over 500 in first matches, it just shows you belong at the ATP level. You should be a top 75, top 60 sort of guy. Now, as we look towards Jensen Brooksby's ceiling, you know, I think it's encouraging that as good of a returner as he was last year, he's breaking serve 28.3% of the time this season. That, my friends, is a top 10 number amongst top 50 players. And certainly we see that metric manifest with our eyes as he just puts a million balls back in play. He's such a high percentage player. Now, the uh, the hold percentage has fallen this season. He went from 80.4% last year to 76.9% this year. I think we see that with our eyes, certainly from a pace perspective. Feels like it would be great if he can add 5 to 10 more miles per hour. He's more of a spot server than a power server, but I do think he's added a little more juice on the first serve. I do think his plus one forehand, his ability to put balls away with a little bit more pace and generate aggression from the center of the court, both of those things have gotten better. And again, after the meteoric rise of last year, what's been so impressive about this season is he has just legitimized himself as, nope, this guy's not going away. We're going to see him at the tour level for the next 10 seasons. Equally encouraging, he stayed healthy, and that wasn't always the case for him early in the year. I just like this matchup for Jensen Brooksby. I don't know what O'Connell does to hurt him, and if you can't hurt 
Brent Jensen Brooksby, I apologize. Someone calling me in the background. If you can't hurt Jensen Brooksby, leave it in. See, I'm popular, folks. Um, I just don't know how you're going to beat him. Give me Brooksby. It's a minus 330 money line, but you look at the game spread. You'd have to take minus three and a half games, and that's just a little too rich for my blood. Again, O'Connell can get hot. Physically, he's going to be able to hang around with Brooksby. Maybe he steals a tiebreak set or gets to a tiebreak. And so, you know, you want to take the over two and a half sets plus 160. You want to take the over uh, 20 and a half games minus 135. I don't blame you. I'm going to take Brooksby with the minus 330 money line over O'Connell. I'm going to throw that into a parlay so we can get it at a little better value. We'll throw him with another young American. How about Brent? Brandon Nakashima, excuse me, you look for Nakashima, the 21-year-old up to number 69 in the ATP rankings. Of course, he made the fourth round of Wimbledon, had those uh had that result, excuse me, offered points to his resume, he would unequivocally be a top 50 player, currently 64 in the live rankings. One more victory, though, gets him all the way back up to number 58. You look for Nakashima, he's 20 and 10 since the start of the French Open. Fourth round Wimbledon, third round French Open, third round U.S. Open, the losses at those events, Zverev, Kyrgios, Sinner. Pretty good showing. For Brandon Nakashima, of course, he took that first set over center, played such a high level in that U.S. Open third round match. And again, you look for Brandon 29 and 22 overall this season, but perhaps more notably holding 88% of the time since the start of the French Open. 88% of the time. That's a top six metric on the ATP Tour. And honest to God, I know the level of competition hasn't been the highest. A lot of that success coming in qualies at the Masters or 250-level events. But go watch him serve. Go watch the pace on his due side out wide serve. Go watch him hit big into the body or slice down the tee or even the flat out wide on the ad as well. Nakashima hits his spots and he moves well. The forehand has turned into a weapon. If you give him time to lean into that ball, get his momentum moving forward, he can absolutely turn into it. Of course, the backhand has always been special. He's always been a—that's uh, not true. He has not always been a comfortable volleyer, but he has turned himself into one. I've been extraordinarily impressed with Brandon this season, and I know the ranking doesn't reflect the success that he has had, but I think he has had a similar season to Brooksby where you're just like, okay, this guy's not going away anytime soon. At 21 years old, we got to start thinking, where's Brandon going to fit in the ecosystem of the next decade? I like his matchup tomorrow as he's taken on Daniel Elahi Galan. Galan's had a good season. You look for him 46 and 23 overall. A lot of challenger success as he's 11 and 9 at the ATP level, but reached the third round of US Open, obviously beating Stefano Tsitsipas, third round Wimbledon as well. His forehand's massive, and his ability to turn into that ball, generate topspin with that ball down the line, cross-court, short angle, his ability to find it on the ad side, hit that ball inside out. His forehand may be the single, single most consistent and biggest weapon on the court, but an inside-out forehand to the Brandon Nakashima backhand, Brandon's game is built 
to handle this particular matchup. And again, with how well Brandon has been serving, I give Brandon the the edge in that matchup. I think Brandon's going to have a little bit easier time generating offense than Galan, given Brandon's backhand sort of takes away the Galan inside-out forehand, which is the thing he likes to use most to set himself up in the rally. I really like this matchup for Nakashima, and I would consider taking the minus two and a half games. Now, it's minus 180 odds, so maybe you throw that into this parlay instead. Minus three and a half games, which is a four and four, five and five victory or better. He's minus 115. That's interesting as well. I'm going to go with the money line because if you parlay his minus 275 money line with Brooksby, you get that down to minus 130. And hey, minus 130 odds for Samsonova, minus 130 odds for a Brooksby Nakashima parlay. That's a sign from the tennis gods to me, in my opinion. So let's roll with the Young American Parlay, Brooksby Nakashima on the money line, minus 130 odds. We're going to get funky with the math. 0.65 units to win half a unit in return. Sorry, folks, sometimes that's just how I roll. Of course, for what it's worth, Brooksby is 73.6% favorite, Nakashima 67.5%. So we'll lock in on Friday night's action in San Diego. We're also, again, Garone taking on James Duckworth. And let's see. It's been 25 minutes since I last looked at the scoreline in that match. You look over in San Diego. Marcos Giron, 7-6-6-3. We move to 4-2, and two, folks, on the ace of the day this week. You've also got Dan Evans, 65.5% favorite over Constant Lestien. That's your action in San Diego. Of course, we've got the ATP action happening in Mets as well. The big upset of the week, Stan Wawrinka, turning back the clock. Sorry, had to use the cliche as he knocked off number one seed, uh, Daniil Medvedev, in three sets. You also have Lorenzo Sanego advancing to the semifinals. Four and four win over Korda. He'll now take on Hubi Hercots uh, for what it's worth. Hubi an 81.1% favorite. Interesting. Indoor hard courts, yes, Hubi serves big enough that it's not going to be as easy for Sanego to tee off on the return of serve. That said, you know, again, the Sanego forehand to the Hercots forehand, that's going to be a problem for Hubie, but that's a fun match. I'd lean over in that one more than anything else. I imagine Hubie's going to be somewhere around a minus 250 favorite, although actually probably a little higher, maybe minus 330. So maybe you take Sanego, hope he, well, even if he wins the first set, Hubie's not going to be that big. You know, he'll still probably be like minus 125. So I don't know. I'd stay away from that match or take the over. Uh, coming up next for Stan Wawrinka, who earned a nice three-set victory, 7-6 in the third over Mikhail Emer. He'll take on the winner of Holger Aruna and Sasha Bublik. Man, Bublik, Sanego, Hercats, Wawrinka, the big servers indoors in France. I suppose that makes a bunch of sense. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Of course, on the women's side, you've also got the WTA 250 action happening in Seoul. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's a fun group of – it's certainly a fun set of matches. As By the way, now we are officially hopping around the board, previewing everything there is over the next 24 hours. I mean, Ostapenko Radakanu is a fantastic contrast of styles. And for what it's worth, according to Tennis Abstract, Ostapenko, a 69.6% favorite. And yet you look at the money lines, Radakanu's minus one. 
115 to Ostapenko's minus 105. If you're looking for value according to the metrics, Ostapenko's definitely been the better player throughout the course of the 2022 season. And will her weapons overwhelm Radakanu? Certainly Ostapenko, a top 10 returner, going to be able to tee off on that return where Radakanu has struggled on the serve. But Radakanu's hitting her forehand as well as she's hit it since the 2021 U.S. Open this week. She took it so well early on the rise, was dominant in her quarterfinal victory. That's as good as I've seen her look in a straight set win over Magda Lynette all year long. She's moving well. She's playing aggressively. Again, if she serves well, she's going to have to make a lot of first serves into the body of Ostapenko. You give her something in the strike zone, Ostapenko's just going to tee off on it. I take the over in this match, over two and a half sets, plus 125, over 21 and a half games, minus 115. I am staying away from the money line there. I'm staying away from Ekaterina Alexandrova as well. Yes, this seems to be one of those good weeks. She's minus 275. She's taking on a very much informed Tatiana Maria. And again, when Alexandrova's minus 275, I'm always scared. So I'd go over two and a half sets, plus 125, over 20 and a half games, minus 120, or just stay away from that match and enjoy it as a fan, of course, for what it's worth. Alexandrova's 67.1% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. That's all your tour-level action. Again, some really fun challenger stuff. Shout out to friend of the program, Cannon Kingsley, into his first challenger semifinal in Columbus, Buck guys just dominate those Ohio challengers. J.J. Wolf, Mikhail Torpegard, now Cannon Kingsley. Really nice win for him over Vukic. He's going to take on Jordan Thompson tomorrow. I'm telling you, on these lightning quick indoor fast courts that Kingsley played his first year of tennis on, I like Cannon in that matchup, especially when he's serving as well as he served this week. He's going to be alive. I'm sure he's somewhere between plus 300 and 400. I would bet him as the live underdog Um, or more than anything, maybe take the over in games if you think Thompson physically might wear him down. I mean, again, Dom Stricker's been really good in Ohio. I think he's now 12-1 and overall on the year. I, I know he took the first set over Rinki Hijikata. I never looked to see how that match finished up, but I do believe indeed it was Dom Stricker who lost. Wow. Leave it in. Rinki Hijikata, three-set win over Stricker. Very, very impressive for the Carolina all-American former, I suppose. Carolina All-American. And you look at tomorrow's semifinals, Kingsley Thompson, Hijikata, going to take on another fantastic athlete in Emilio Gomez. Take the over in that match as well, my friends. And again, you've got the Budapest 125K, bunch of other challengers as well. Labor Cup action. Very, very fun time to be a tennis fan. Of course, again, we recap it all over on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings. But with that said, your aces of the day. Sam Snova, minus two and a half games over Jung Shui, minus 130, 1.3 units to win one in return. A Brooksby Nakashima money line parlay as well, minus 130.65 units to yield half a unit in return. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. 